Someone asked me this question on New Year's Eve. Um, I'm big on the whole New Year's resolution thing at the moment. I see that, I see that. Yeah, and someone asked me, and I thought it was really interesting. They said, do you work to live or do you live to work? And I thought it was such a good question because I am happiest when I'm working. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't believe my husband's going to hear me say that, but I'm (laughs) happy. I've got some good shit to share, so I've got some good stuff. Mm, You heard it here, Warners. Susanna Gray has some good shit to share. Uh, Let's get started. Yeah, we're (laughs) starting. We are starting. Let's get started with uh, this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. Welcome, Warners, to this episode sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach with my co-host today, my guest co-host, although I'm I'm thinking of this Battle of the Blondes co-host um uh <laughs> contest and um oh. you, you made it back you made it back Susanna and Susanna is also master coach and sales trainer at Sales Gravy and um I think Jeb liked your last episode so I, I let you come back well hopefully he listened to all of it um and I think he did I think he did and I'm not actually a natural blonde um I'm a wannabe blonde I don't know what's going on underneath this hair dye. It's probably a bit of um, a bit of gray now, but um, I'm I'm just trying to rock the blonde thing, you know. You do you you rock you rock the blonde thing. Thanks, thanks. Well, my child's turned out blonde, so maybe I am becoming blonde, and I don't even know. Who knows? But anyway, um, we're not here to talk about blondes, are we? <laughs> <laughs> we could, we could, because I'm not a natural redhead. Oh no! Spoiler alert! Now everybody knows our secrets. Oh well. It it blends perfectly with the sales gravy logo. I know it does, doesn't it? Yeah. No, I'm not a na- I'm not a natural redhead, but I have a really good uh, hairstylist who makes it look natural. Nice. She's got a social media person. She's got a hairstylist. <laughs> She's got a policeman living in her house. Wow. <laughs> She's got it covered, Gina Tremarco. <laughs> uh, all the things. Okay, so let's get let's get to the beat of it. Nobody wants to listen to our banter. Well, I think some people do want to listen to our banter, but we'll banter throughout. So today, what um what I wanted to talk about, and we alluded to this on the last episode you were on, is recruiting. And and mm. listen to me out before we get into this. And I know you've prepared, but I like to throw you off just a little bit because that's how I roll. I mean. So yeah, mean. no, I know. I know. I mean, I uh, got to be mean to the UK. No, just kidding. <laughs> sure. so, someone was listening to our last podcast and they said, was she bordering on being mean to you? And I was like, <laughs> no, that's that's just Gina. You you got to get Gina. It's funny. It's funny. Did somebody wait a second? Did someone English say that? Yeah. I mean, we are we are mortally offended by uh, the American humor. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, so to whoever thought I was borderline mean, <laughs> I dare you to send me an email, Gina at salesgravy.com. Tell me how mean I was. Anyway, um, I do want you to know I'm like really thick into it too with Downton Abbey. So nice, nice. I haven't got onto that yet. Um, and I'm meaning to ask you how your birthday was, but uh, we're here to talk about me, right? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. We're definitely here to talk about you. We'll get, we'll, we'll sprinkle in some personal stuff later. So recruiting, I want to talk about recruiting for a couple of reasons because, and, and I think in the, one of the messages I sent you, it's like, it is, I forget what brilliant thing I said. I said something brilliant to you. At least you pretended it sounded brilliant. Um, it was, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? Um, I think one of the things that you mentioned and that lots of people ask on a daily basis is, do I recruit myself or do I choose an external recruiter? Okay. And every day I speak to CEOs who basically say that their biggest challenge is recruiting and retaining salespeople. Um, And I say salespeople, recruiters, because I believe recruiters are also salespeople or influencers. And it's the toughest thing. It's a struggle everywhere. And I know it's a struggle in America because um, Peter Capelli did a big study in 2018 saying that basically the sales average attrition rate is about 16%. That's shocking, right? That is shocking. Sales people who make money for organizations and 
trying to retain them and hire them is absolutely impossible for some people. So there come people like me who come and try and solve that problem. And I've been doing it for years. Am I an expert? No. But am I getting closer? Absolutely. And do I, do I make a lot of money helping people? Yes. But more importantly, I help people have long careers in sales. And it is tough. It's a tough job, sales. You do sales. You're closing deals all the time. You've stayed in sales, but many people leave. And that is the struggle. Oh, a couple questions there. So why do you think that that attrition rate is what it is? Why? I mean, did he, I don't know if he revealed anything in that, in that study or article. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I've, I've seen it as well. You know, I've been, I've been doing this for so many years. And if there was one answer to that question, it would be easy. We could hire salespeople. Lazy people could make lots of money. But essentially, if anybody knows about Jeb and Jeb's books, he talks about the three things that you cannot train people, which are actions, reactions, and mindset. So, you know, that's, that's huge in itself. And finding someone who displays those attributes at interview is hard because they say the best sales pitch you ever do is at interview. So how many people do you interview and think, wow, I love you. You're amazing. And then they start and you put them near a phone, you're making sales calls and they type and they get scared and they don't want to do it. Um, But at the same time, you've also got organizations who expect miracles very quickly and they don't train their staff. They don't invest in their staff. Are they coachable? Are they trainable? Questions that people should always be asking. And not everyone is, you know, or not anyone, everyone wants to be. So, you know, it's, it's a really tough one. And Jeb talks about in his book that he had a really good sales rep who just got so disgruntled after six months. And then after six months, they'd already left. All these deals kept coming in. Um, it's persistence, finding those people, and especially recruiters who I predominantly recruit for. You're dealing with people. You're not just selling products, but I'm recruiting recruiters. And finding good recruiters is tough because essentially, you know, you're influencing people to change their job, mm-hmm. um, which is really tough. So, you know, there's a massive problem out there, massive problems. So to answer your question, I would say, first and foremost, train your salespeople better, coach them because training and coaching are different, right? And really invest in the recruiting. Good recruiters they won't just send you CVs that they find off job boards. They will go out and headhunt the best talent out there. And that's what I do on a daily basis. You know, do I go on LinkedIn and message people? No. How many messages do you get on LinkedIn on a daily basis? Oh, Jesus, I could send you a picture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So basically finding a recruiter who goes that extra mile, who doesn't just be a CV monkey, Basically, a robot can do that job. A robot can go and send a CV from a job board. A robot can put adverts out there. Um, Real recruiters, talent scouts are the people who actually call people up when they're at work and they take those risks to get you the best staff. Because most people who are good for good salespeople, they're not looking for a new job because they're, they're killing it. Why would they want to move? So you need to tell them and inform them of what, what is out there. Mm. Um, and you can't do that yourself. Um, you can try, but what I find is with internal recruiters, it's a lot of people who've actually been recruiters previously and they don't want to be targeted. They want an easier life. Um, and they think I'll be an in-house recruiter. I'll get all the jobs. And they often aren't trained in the same way. They haven't got the same pressure. They often have a salary. So they're not targeted just on commission. You know, you, you find you can get some really good internal recruiters, but more, I, I find that if you invest in, in doing it and outsourcing it, that's where you're going to find the best talent. Get those passive people. I, I love, I love the phrase "Don't be a CV monkey." And for um, those Americans who don't know what a CV is, just so I can give you uh, what they say outside of the U.S. So CV is the resume. Um, there might be some people who don't know, so I just want to—I don't want to make that assumption. But there's so many things that we can unpack around around this. Number one, I have a story which, you know, there's always a story. One of of my first jobs out of college was with a recruiting firm. And I flashed back to, um, it's, it's, it, it really reminded me now I go way back. So this is the nineties and I flashed back to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. If anyone's seen that movie, have you seen this movie, Susanna? 
No. Oh my gosh, it is it is a sales classic. You need to watch Glenn Gary Clint Ross. Okay. And, and it's based and it's based on a mammoth play. So um there's a there was a play and then there was a movie based on it. And uh, for those who have watched it, you know what I'm talking about because closing um coffee is for closers. That's where that line comes from. We had these cards and I can still see them. They were like blue cards, like blue index cards, which I could have swore the cards in Glengarry Glen Ross were the same color, but they were these cards, right? Like we didn't have a CRM or we just had these cards. Like you were in an old fashioned library and the recruiting firm recruited accountants and CFOs and like it was all financial. And here I am, 22 out of college, knowing nothing about anything, like nothing about accounting, um, other than that I started out as an accounting major and was not good at math. So that didn't work out. And 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 it was a sales job where I had to do that, pick up the phone and find candidates and convince them to leave and find employers that wanted to take them on. And I would get on the train every night to go home with a massive headache from the stress of it because there was no training, by the way. It was like, just pick up the phone and call. It was a boiler room. I mean, there were there were desks everywhere. Picking up the phone, I made it four days and never went back. Yeah. By the fourth day, I was, I can't do this. See, that surprises me because the best recruiters are also coaches, coaches, and you're an excellent coach. And I always think I'm not, I'm not bigging you up anymore. (laughs) I think we've all had enough of kiss ass Gina Susanna. And I think, um, (laughs) I don't, I never get enough of kiss ass. That's why I'm back. I'm back. (laughs) On a a serious note though, I think a lot of everyone's been in recruitment, no offense to you, but you know, I'm getting my hair done the other day and she goes, Hey, I used to be in recruitment. But I think a lot of people go into recruitment and say, hey, I want to find people jobs. That would be fun. But they don't realize that actually, you know, to be a good recruiter, you're not just finding people jobs. You're getting to the point where you've got someone who says, I'm really happy. Thank you. And you have 10 minutes to tempt them to go elsewhere. And everyone's different. So you have to get to know them. You have to ask them the right questions. Um, what's important to them. You get really attached to people. You're changing their lives, essentially. But also, you've got to know your clients and finding the right thing. For two. I hate saying match because a lot of people think recruiting is just matching people, but it's so much more than that. Um, it really is like influencing them. Influencing being the top scale. And I think that's an intrinsic attribute, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Jeb always talks about mental toughness. And I completely agree, but I also think hand in hand with empathy. So some of the best recruiters that I've ever seen are the ones who I've had to just sit down and give them a hug because they're crying because they lost a deal or that person didn't turn up for that placement or it's a tough job. It's really tough. And you know that because you've been in it. You've got clients blaming you because a candidate maybe rejected their job for someone else's. You've got, you're always the enemy because everyone's struggling. But the difference is, and what makes a top recruiter than someone who's just quite empathetic is someone who cries, maybe gets, I'm not a crier, but they get angry or something bad happens, but they pick up and they move on Um, and they don't dwell on it. They don't dwell on the fact, oh, that placement didn't turn out last week. That happens. And it's the same in sales, isn't it? It's exactly the same. And here's some words from our sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe honed their sales skills at Sales Gravy University. You see, Sales Gravy University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGravy University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. 
you can't get super attached. And I think that is definitely one thing that Jeb talks about. It's like, you can't get attached to it. You want to be invested, but at some point, um, that investment effect kicks in or, you know, the, the putting too much into it, like the sunk costs of, of the time that you spend doing all of that. Yes. And I think it's really interesting because for recruiting specifically, what an interesting job that is. Talk about managing multiple stakeholders, right? If you think about me trying to sell training or coaching, I, I deal with multiple stakeholders, but most of them, you know, if I'm dealing with multiple in one company, most of them have similar, similar goals, right? They all have different yeah. goals because they, they have personal goals as well. But for a recruiter, you're trying to like find, you're trying to find an employee that can work for that company. You're trying to find a company that needs employees. You're, you're, you're juggling a lot of different types of goals, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes down to knowing what's important to the candidate and knowing what the client wants. So for example, for candidates, I would say to you, Gina, well, we all know what's, Gina's called Gina money. So we know that money is most important to Gina, but (laughs) everyone's different. And I speak to some people and they either want to move because of money, career development, Work-life balance, which is a huge thing, and I want to speak about that because I'm a huge believer um, in, in office working. But that's that's another thing. Or manager, the amount of I would say probably about eighty-five percent of the people that I've placed in the last year have moved because there's been an issue with their manager, and mm. it's not always being micromanaged. It is a lot, but sometimes it could be a top performer who's left alone. How many managers think? hey, I've got a top biller there. I can just leave them on their own. They're doing great. And they put all of their time and attention to the people who are failing or struggling. Oh gosh, this is this is one of my pet peeves. This is, this is the 80-20 rule. This is a leadership issue, right? This is when you spend, I've talked about this a lot in leadership training. Mm. When you put 80% of your time in 20% of your problem children, right? The, the impact that that has on your high performers it just, it just leaders don't pay attention to it because they're like, oh, I can leave the high performer alone. And the high performer gets a little resentful. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's where it comes between coaching and managing. I think a lot of managers out there, they think they don't want to be micromanaged. I'll leave them alone. But the top performers I've often found resp- respond really well to coaching because it's their time they like attention a lot of people like attention but it's not telling them what to do it's getting them to lead what they think is best and they don't have time people like Gina here we go again are closing <laughs> deals all day that you don't have time just to sit away and think okay how could I have done that differently what am I doing what's my goal what's my process how am I going to make sure I stick to that process um and I believe that that's failure on many sales managers' parts is that they're often top billers themselves. They, I believe, and this is a gross generalization, we're back to generalizations again, but I believe a lot of sales managers who are good at sales tend to be a bit more impatient than patient. I'm going to get slapped for that. But it it tends to be a characteristic um, because they're used to doing the deals, they're used to being on the floor. And sometimes people get promoted wrongly to management for being a good salesman. And I've seen it happen so many times. And then they lose stuff underneath them. You know, I, I really do think that, yes, training, getting training right, getting coaching right, management, checking in, even if they don't think they have to, but also using a service like a headhunter, not just because, yes, it's expensive, but there's a great quote by Einstein, which says, it's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems longer. So I'm doing it every day. I know the market. I can say to you, Gina, do you know what you want someone to work on coaching? This is what the market looks like at the moment. And this is what you need to do to attract the right people. I'm exposing that blind spot for you. Um, So I don't think it's an argument because the way I see it here in the UK is that everyone wants a recruiter to help them. I'm inundated with vacancies on a daily basis. Hmm. Please send me a salesperson. Please send me a salesperson. Do you think, do you think that's changed though because of COVID? No. In fact, I think it's a lot harder for many managers to see what salespeople and recruiters are doing um, because of the remote working. Okay. Um, and I think many people are struggling in that environment. 
um, you know, essentially. Yeah. But I've spoken about Ricky Gervais in our last podcast, but if I'm walking, watching Ricky Gervais on TV at home, I might not be laughing, but if I'm in the theatre watching him and everyone's laughing around me, I'm cackling. <laughs> You know, and you know this from yeah, being a it's a, it, well, it's 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 emotional contagion. Exactly, right? exactly. And it's the same with sales. You know, if I'm in a room with people doing sales, I feel that buzz, I feel that energy. That's a that's a really good point. That is a really good point because uh, a lot of people move from selling in an environment where there was other people and you could right, like you know, t- capture that buzz. And in this remote selling, I mean, internally, like at Sales Gravy, we see it when someone closes a deal, it comes over in an email, right? Mm -hmm. So-and-so just closed it. It It's like, boom, so-and-so just closed a deal. And then you have this moment of jealousy of like, (gasps) what deal did they close, right? But you're (laughs) you're like, they're alone. Like you're you're happy for them. um, And it inspires you to get out there. But it's such a higher, a bigger buzz if you're all there together. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's so important. And it's a, it's a reason why lots of people go into sales because they love that environment. They love being around people. So you asked me whether it's changed with COVID. And it, it, if anything, I mean, I, I started my business in April. I targeted myself for the year. I hit my target seven months in. That's how busy it is. Wow. Um, uh, people looking, you wouldn't think people would be looking for jobs, but you can really get those top performers when they're at home. It's easier to get hold of them because you can mm-hmm. call them. I'm giving away all my secrets now. They're not in the <laughs> office. <laughs> so I'll speak to you. Um, but also, yeah, I, I think also it gives people a time to reflect. I think during COVID, people think about what is most important to me in yeah. my life. Um, and to a lot of people, it, it is that they just feel a bit lonely or they feel they could earn more money. They want to know how to improve their lives. So I am finding that I'm, lots of people are wanting to move. So yeah, I think, I think it's always going to be a problem because these days people want an easy life. They want to earn as much money for as little work as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think what COVID, like you said, has done for people is caused them to reflect on what's important. Uh, and what they want, and and they can kind of ask for what they want now because there is such a need for not just sales jobs but all jobs. So you can be a little pickier. And so, with all that being said, companies and leadership, I think, have to start looking at what does their culture look like, even in a virtual world, right? You know, even if you're going totally remote, you can still create a culture that people are going to want to be part of. And so I think that's something to think about for engagement and retention. And then to add to that, going back to what you're saying, like from a sales training perspective, not only are companies lacking sales training in general, I think they're lacking, and I see this every day, they're lacking training for sales managers, right? Because you said it earlier, some of these high performers, they get promoted to managers, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're not really managers, right? But but I think they get promoted because the organization goes, okay, we want everybody to be like Joe. All right, yeah. everybody be like Joe or everybody be like Susanna. Let's promote them. And then everybody will fall in line. But that's not how it works. Exactly, exactly. And it's a problem. You know, I think the companies that do it the best, and I see this, are the companies who... They have a path for the salespeople where they are recognized, where they're given responsibility, but they're not necessarily managing people. Um, I was I was a top biller. I got really frustrated when people underneath me weren't performing. And as a manager, that probably translated as micromanagement. And I made some mistakes along the way. You know, we all do. Um, but I think had I had stepped back and thought about what management was actually like, maybe I wouldn't have ended up being a manager. (laughs) Maybe I would have just been a top biller. Um, And I think there's lots of people like me. I speak to lots of people like that every day who took that path. So it's really interesting. And I think it's up to the directors to recognize that and to coach and ask the right questions before promoting someone just because they think they want to be promoted. Well, yeah. And if they're, and if they're going to promote, um, or if you want to be promoted, I think what's in, it, what's important is what kind of training are you going to provide them? Mm-hmm. And if you're looking to be promoted, 
are you asking for that training? Do you feel like you have enough training to be a manager? Why do you want to be a manager? Right. I, I mean, I coach a lot of salespeople and part of their goals are to, to move into leadership. And I have that, those direct questions, those direct conversations with them of like, why? Mm. Why, why do you want to go into management? And, and, and it's not to, um, it's not to challenge them so much as it is to get them to think about it. Right. Are they, are they doing it because they want it on their resume because they think it's going to lead them somewhere else? So I, I really, what I'm coaching around is what is their end goal? What is their exit plan? Exactly. And I think lots of people think they like that entitlement of title or they think yeah. management means more money, but management doesn't always mean more money. They're no. trying to get other people to do what you're doing and you can't control others. Um, and, and it impedes, it impedes, like it impedes your own success sometimes. When, yeah. if I, when I have to spend a portion of my day chasing down, hey, did you close this? Hey, what's going on with that? Hey, what's going on with that lead? I'm like, oh, that takes time out of my day to close a deal. Yes, exactly, exactly. And ultimately, you want people to manage upwards, don't you? To just tell you, you don't want to be chasing people. Oh but my god, you, yeah. Have to chase people. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing. Someone asked me this question on New Year's Eve. Um, I'm big on the whole New Year's resolution thing. At I the moment, see that. I see that. Yeah, and someone asked me, and I thought it was really interesting. They said, "Do you work to live, or do you live to work?" Yeah. And I thought it was such a good question because I am happiest when I'm working. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe my husband's going to hear me say that. But I'm <laughs> um, I feel alive. And there's a great book actually called The Power of Now, which talks about how it's been. Oh, yes. yes. That is an awesome book. Love it. Love Absolutely it. love mm-hmm. it. And um, we are meant to, we want to feel useful, right? What about you? I'm, I know you're interviewing me and I keep playing back on you, but do you, do you live to work or do you work to live? When you're closing those deals, why? I, I, I totally work to live. Do you? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You probably didn't expect that, did you? I didn't because if you won the lottery tomorrow, I don't know if you guys have the lottery over there, but we if you do. won, brilliant. If you won like billions of dollars tomorrow, would you still be working? Yeah, I would, I would definitely be working. I, I, but, but when you ask that question, live to work or work to live, um, I, I believe in being able to have a job I love mm-hmm. to make money, to have a good life. But at the end of the day, what's most important to me is family and life. And we're not here that long and experiences. And I don't, I don't want it to be on my tombstone um, that, you know, all I did was work. Mm. And, and, you know, on the last, the last episode that you were on with me, we we talked about um, relaxing Gina. Is that, that's what we call (laughs) me relaxing Gina. And um, it's funny and, and I can't remember, I think this was, this, yeah, this was, this was existing on that episode. I have, um, taken on a new thing for the next six to eight weeks, which is co-directing and starring in a show back in the theater, back in the theater. And I have not been on, on stage for two years and, Long story short, I was a director of marketing of this show many, many, many years ago in Chicago, and now they're doing a, a rendition in, in Riddle Beach, South Carolina. And so I'm, I'm joining that show. Originally, I was looking to be a cast member, and then they asked me to co-direct it because I know the show so well. And I had posted something on Instagram about it. And one of my followers, um, who's also like taking classes at Sales Gravy, said, how do you have time? For- oh, he said, he said, do you have time for that? And it was interesting to hear that question. Like the fact that someone posted that question was a, mm-hmm. was a big wake up to me of like, for someone to say, oh, Gina doesn't have time for that. Right. Because they see how much I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of good news, bad news. Like, I don't want to be perceived that I work around the clock, mm. even though I often do. <laughs> I think this is a thing. And I was thinking about this when I was doing the time management training um, for sales gravy. And I always use the term busy fool. 
I think many yes people can turn and very talented people can turn into busy fools because they're just mm-hmm. trying to do everything and they're yeah. not getting anywhere. So yeah. um, I guess it comes down to what am I actually achieving here? How much am I enjoying it? Because the worst part is, is when you're doing too much and then yeah. it's not fun anymore. And that's when I think people resent working. Um, I don't think you're one of those people, by the way. I just think that I see it a lot with salespeople. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and the, one of the reasons why I took this on and it's going to be kind of intense for six to eight weeks because it's literally rehearsals every single day. Mm. Um. I mean, like every single night and then on the weekends during the day. And what that's going to do is prevent me from working after 6 p.m., which Mm -hmm. I have, which I have a tendency to do. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is really going to force me to prioritize, which is one of the things I'm trying to work on being better at, because when I jam pack my day and night with work, I get tired. I... I'm just not as sharp. And when I have something else going on in my life that gives me some balance and it, 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 it changes my brain into another direction, which I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but the creative selling course that I'm launching in February. Oh, oh, she's getting one in there. She's getting one in there. My work on dating, my creative uh, self course. Well, the reason why I bring it up, the reason why I bring it up is because I did a lot of research behind creativity and the link Uh to critical thinking and link to, to selling. And we actually unlearn creativity. That's so interesting. We un- we unlearn creativity and there's been a study on this. So I'll fast track you on the study. 5%, they, they did a study on, on five-year-olds. 98% of them um, took this creative test. I mean, they, they took this creative test. 98% of them um, tested as creative geniuses. 98% of these five-year-olds. And then they <laughs> tested them again at 10 and at 15. And of course it went down. So it went from... 98% to 28% to 12% by the time they were 15. So it went from 98 to 12%. Then they took that same test and they gave it to adults, 280,000 adults. Any idea what they tested at? A lot lower. Good answer. Good answer. You want to take a stab at it? Go for it. Go for it. I don't like being wrong. <laughs> I don't like being wrong. Two percent. Two percent. No. What 2%. are we doing to ourselves? Because I, I don't know if you ever knew this, but I studied music and education. No, um, I know. I know. At uni. So I, I, I do know my fair share on this. Um, and I watched kids compose music. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was very much looking at creative play and how they did it. And we were encouraging it. And the curriculums are much more, in the UK anyway, they're much more aimed at that. Mm-hmm. Um but it was amazing some of the things that they would come out with. You know, the stories that my three-year-old comes out with, it makes sense. So what are, we, what are we doing? What are we doing, Gina, that's stopping us being creative? Well, there's a couple of things that have happened with that. Again, we're unlearning it because we are um, being encouraged to not be creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, a part of that comes from um, going back to the time of the Industrial Revolution when uh, working and producing and making things was really important. And uh, so much stress was put on mm-hmm. working uh, that that took away from creative time. And then if you also look at how we structure play, um, especially mm-hmm. how we structure play, even with kids, but then as we get older, like if you, if you schedule creativity or, or play for a 50 minute time slot, what that does is it encourages you to just get it done mm. versus being unstructured where there's no time limit on it, where you have time to play with things and try things and test things, right? That encourages creativity. And what's interesting about that, the par- you know, it's kind of incongruent if you look at it, right? Um, we put this, we put a time period on how much, you know, you you have to like, this is all you have for creativity time. And, and as adults work, I mean, I teach this in time management, focus on mm-hmm. getting it, focus on getting it done. Not right. Like focus on getting it done. Not perfect. Yes. Yes. To avoid being a procrastinator. We're, we're constantly talking about that. And so 
there's really not a lot of time to to get better or to you know, foster new ideas because like, we just got to get it done. So that, that plays a part in it too, right? Structured yes. versus unstructured play, um, where we're focused as, as, I mean, as a world when it comes to working. So we've basically beaten it out of adults. Like you, there's mm-hmm. no, t- there's no time to play around. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, as a coach, I don't know about you, but I found that the best coaching sessions I've ever ever conducted are the ones where I say, look, we have no time limit. This is your time. Yeah. I found them so effective, but we don't live in a world where that's possible. No. We don't live in a world where that's possible. Um, And that makes perfect sense. And I think we should be encouraging people to be more creative. I I did a study on boys and girls. Um, We had a classroom full of boys and a classroom full of girls. And we said to all the boys, how many stars do you think are in in the sky? And loads of boys put their hands up none of the girls put their hands up. Interesting. Um, and there's studies on this that girls play it safe a lot more. Our brains are wired to play it a lot more safe, whereas boys are they're conditioned to take risks a bit more. They don't mind looking like an idiot, whereas um, girls are sort of more, there's a part of the brain that is playing it safe, which is why girls tend to like coursework. And they say boys tend to prefer learning it with exams. Um, there's a whole studies on this. It's really interesting. So not only creativity within age, but there are definitely differences between the male and female. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't even know how we got on this subject, but <laughs> <laughs> that's Tina's like back to recruitment, back to business. <laughs> I, I know, but hey, I mean, now that it's out there, check out um creative selling coming to Sales Gravy University in uh-huh. February. So um exciting, exciting. So so going back over to recruiting before we get ready to wrap it up, um, there were two things I wanted to address. Mm. One being like, why, what is the value, right? For the company that you might pursue as a recruiter and you're like, no, it's just better to outsource recruiting. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think about this and I hate, don't get mad at me for com- doing this comparison. Um, I've, I've known a lot of like, you know, other service oriented companies, but one that comes to mind is wedding planners. Oh, okay. When you think about wedding planners, it's like, do I really need to spend money on a wedding planner? Like when I could just plan it myself. And the thing is, is that, and I think, I think this, this comes up because I had coached a wedding planner at one point. Actually, I know I did because the value for that, the, the value of working with a wedding planner is that wedding planner, not just takes it off of your plate to do all those things, which there's a major value in, right? If you mm-hmm. start to measure the value of your time, but also <laughs> a wedding planner has access to leveraging um, the total expenses of a wedding, right? Because they can leverage better discounts than you, the individual bride or groom could actually do. So yeah. it almost pays for itself in some ways because mm-hmm. they can leverage so many discounts. And so I've actually, that that's something that I've taught to, to wedding planners and how to sell themselves. So how do you sell the value of recruiting to an organization that says we can do that internally? That's a great question. And it comes back to that, that Einstein quote. Um, I'm dealing with these problems every day. Some of the best, I'd say in the last year, I've placed about 27 people. Out of those 27, 25 of them were not looking for a job. Um, but mm. I know which companies pay the best. I know which companies have the best commission structure. I put a poll out on LinkedIn recently, basically asking people if they'd like a higher basic or next to no basic and a really high commission. Guess which one people voted for? Which one? <laughs> they voted for the high basic. So they didn't want the commission, which, you know, I, I essentially, if a company is doing it themselves, they're paying someone to do it who is going to sit there and not be fully invested in the process in the same way that an external recruiter would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, you want to get the best talent. Yeah. That talent isn't looking. I know loads of recruiters who don't even pick up the phone and call people at work. I've been told to F off 
I've been told, <laughs> I've been put on loudspeaker um, and a manager said, why are you calling my staff? You know, all of that. I go through the pains to find the best possible staff for a company and to find them, it, it's not easy. You have weeks where you think, is this going to work? Is this going to happen? Am I going to find someone? Then four people come along at once and you know exactly where they want to go. And it's a great feeling. Everyone's happy at the end of it. You know, you found them a better pay rise, 20% pay rise. They got career development. They didn't even know it was out there. Um, but if a company wants to know about the market and see who's out there and what's going on, they want to expand, you might not know that you're looking for someone until I put them in front of you. That's huge. I, I, I've just created a whole yeah. new office for a client because they wanted to expand in the Northwest. They didn't tell me that. I just happened to put someone in front of them. Um, so, and you've got to look after your recruiter. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to use recruiters. And then they pretty much try and wrangle the fees or negotiate with them or get angry if things don't work up. If you look after a recruiter, they will work magic for your organization. They will put you first. And that partnership is huge. It's not just a recruitment consultant. It's a consultant. They're consulting. They're not just recruiting. And that's, everyone needs that. Um, I have no doubt. That's a good reminder. So a big part of that value is getting the right people on your team. That would be, I think, number one, because the cost of having the wrong person on your team uh, could be monumental. Absolutely. You, you know, since I was, I, I've, I've worked for a company for 13 years, I worked my way up to management. How many times do you think I received reference requests for people who went to work elsewhere? Mm, no idea. Twice, twice. Um, and the problem is, is that unfortunately, a lot of sales organizations aren't very good at recruiting. <laughs> they don't yeah. ask the questions. You know, our amygdala wants to like people. You come in, hey, you're from that area. I'm from there too. And suddenly we're yeah. bonded. We forget to ask the questions about. So you, you said you wanted to leave your current role. Can you go into that a bit more? Or, you know, what's the, what's the best thing about managing you? And what's the worst? All those questions we sometimes forget to answer because we build rapport, we get excited, or we're desperate mm -hmm. to find someone that we forget to do what's really important. Um, and that's what a good recruiter won't do. They'll always make sure that all bases are covered. And, and to your point, you, you could hire someone and then all of a sudden you try to get them uh, on the phone to pick up the phone and find out that they don't want to prospect at all. Uh -huh. And and what, who did you hire? I, I do find it interesting too, um, what you said earlier about people would rather have that higher base. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to pass judgment on it because I've always worked in more of a hundred percent commission scenario. And so yeah. I, I think you build up a resilience and a thicker skin to that, whereas a lot of people are afraid of that. And I've talked to people who are like, oh, I just, I have to have this space. I have to have this space. And like my insides go off and I'm like, Ooh, how hard will this person work? I don't know. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Yeah. That people who high performers who do really well, who work primarily on commit, like, they have a very low base or a draw. Yeah. I have, I have a, maybe I'm just, you know, I don't know. I'm, I have a bias on that. Yeah. But you're naturally confident in your abilities. And it, it took me probably about seven years to set up my own business. And I kept saying to people, can I do it? Can I do it? You know, can I, and they were like, well, if you don't think you can, then you definitely can't. In the first two months, I knew I absolutely could. And I guess there are a lot of salespeople out there who can do it, but they're not yet self-assured. Um, so, you know, yes, some people might not realize how much they could earn with commission, but ultimately you want to be attracting people who think, I want to go for the top commission because I back myself to smash it and close lots of deals. Those are the people that organizations should want. And that's why I put the poll out because I want to catch the people who back themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it is really interesting. And I think also remembering that the best sales pitch that a, a potential candidate will ever do will be at their interview. They'll be trying to sell to you. And essentially, that's why we want people, because robots can get a CV, they can ask a question, why do you want to work with this company? And they can't detect lies, can they? <laughs> Computers can't detect yeah, lies, but the yeah. recruiter can look behind what they're actually saying. And it might be that someone went, went to interview with Gina 
and reject a junior's job. And I might say to them, why did you reject the job? And they might tell me something that they wouldn't tell you directly that might be useful for you to know. Mm-hmm. Um, Good so point. You get all types of information. So they're like, that Gina, she's mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, only a few people said that. <laughs> no, but, so, but you know, we, we, we've got to know about ourselves, haven't we? We've got to accept, yeah. accept the bad things. And, 100%. Um, yeah, it, it is really interesting. So before we wrap up, this was my other question is, right. So we're talking about getting employers to to hire an outside recruiter, but as a candidate, um, especially in sales, that we shouldn't even have to talk about this, but I'm going to put it out there because when you are being recruited or you're interviewing for a new position, Mm-hmm. You, are, you are selling the most important product you will ever sell. Absolutely. Yourself. Yourself. So what what, what would be a couple of tips um, to give to salespeople who are searching for the next right opportunity? Because I think if you keep these skills in mind, this is also going to help you sell in general because people buy you first before they buy the company you're representing. Absolutely. I think we could do a whole podcast on this, but essentially- Oh, good. We'll schedule that next. (laughs) Well, do you know what? I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story. Um, I always say, if you're interfering with someone, look them up on social media, look them up, know what they look like. Because when I I did my first ever interview and I went to the loos and I didn't want to be nervous, I went to toilets, looked in the mirror (laughs) and I started singing to myself because I'm a bit weird like that. And I like the sound of music. So I sang, I have confidence really loudly at the top of my voice. And then someone walked in and I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just about to go into an interview, a bit nervous. And you, you guessed it. That person was the person who was interviewing me thinking I was an absolute (laughs) weirdo. I was, I have confidence in sunshine. They were like, who is this weirdo looking in the mirror? Did you get Um, the job? Oh, do you know what? I don't know whether I should tell you because you're one of my bosses. Um, I didn't get the job, but <laughs> I was very close. And I don't think it was because of that. I bet it was because of that. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. So embarrassing. I, I don't think you should put this bit on the podcast. But, oh, no, uh, it's too late. It's too late. It's going to be there. Hey, you know, what? if they didn't hire you because of that, then they were not the right place for you. They were not. And no. it doesn't matter. I think sometimes top performers don't perform well in the wrong environment. Um, oh, gosh. And yeah. it, you have to get the environment right for that person. Um, it's so important. People need to be managed in a way that gets the best out of them. That's a no-brainer, right? I could coach for anyone, but I coach with Sales Gravy because I like the people. Yeah. I like Jeb. I respect Jeb. And I feel that it suits my personality. And that's a whole different thing, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, that, goes, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about culture, right? And um you, you, when you are recruiting, uh, whether you're using an external recruiter, or you're re- re- recruiting internally. Um, y- you you want to think about what that culture is and who you want in that culture. You know, we don't we don't use an external recruiter, as you know, at Sales Gravy. Um, but Jeb will put it out there that he's looking, and then people will will come to him and then they go through mm-hmm. a pretty rigorous process with us. Um, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and the process works. Um, it, it works for us because we're really, we're really clear on the culture you're walking into. Mm. Um, and it's either for you or it's not for you, but I think, I think that's important for an organization to, to, to put that out there and share it and then really know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. far as who they think is going to be a fit, you know, even when um, we're in a recruiting process and interviewing people, um, one of the things that will happen if if you're told to talk to me, um, I didn't do this with you though, but well, well uh-huh. <laughs> here's, here's something I've been doing. So here's a little here's a little sales recruiting hack. So if I know that um, we're going to have some time together, right? And I'm told, hey, reach out to these people and schedule time with them. Um, I'll send an email and I'll, I'll suggest the times that I have available. And I might schedule some unconventional times um, outside of the normal nine to five, Monday through Friday thing. And I do a couple things because I want to see what the reaction is. 
And then I schedule, um, I've been doing, I've been doing scheduling phone calls because a, I've been really, really busy. And sometimes the best time for me to actually talk to someone is when I'm in the car driving back and forth mm-hmm. from sales gravy to Myrtle beach. So I, um, on this last round, I, I scheduled phone calls and told everybody to call me. At a certain You've got time. to be careful with that talking while driving thing. You know, the amount of times I've spoken to you while you're driving, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in the car with you. No, I'm on a, I'm on a, a, a long country road. Okay. Um, yeah. Not, not yeah. crazy traffic. And I've got a, Hey, very high performing salespeople do a lot of road <laughs> talking when chill time. So anyway, so I've got my, and I've, I'm hands-free. So don't worry about any of that. Okay. So I'm safe. I'm safe. Bottom line is I will schedule. I'm not always in the car on the phone, but I will schedule the time, tell them to call me. And I don't answer the phone when they call. Harsh. That's really harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you want to see if they'll call again. I want to see what kind of voicemail they leave. Interesting. Very interesting. So you're testing them. I want to see what kind of salesperson they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really good idea. That's so interesting. Someone the other day I wasn't sure about um, who applied for a job and I thought, is she really persistent enough? So I didn't get back to her thinking that she might nag me and message me again. She didn't. Um, and I've just looked at her LinkedIn and she's not doing sales. So I was like, yeah, I was right about her. It's it's a great idea. It's a great idea. And one question, I'm going to give a little snippet tip for our listeners in this podcast. One question that I think is really, really good in determining how top of a biller you have in front of you is ask them when you're interviewing them, ask them who's the top performer in your company. And they'll usually say someone, they'll say, oh, they're amazing. They're doing X, Y, Z. And, you know, they're closing deals every day. And then ask them, why are you not a top performer? What are they doing that you're not doing? And they'll often come up with, it's much better than saying, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Right? Oh, I love so that. Um, but find out what differentiates them from a top performer in their company. And they'll expose all sorts of things that will make you realize Maybe this person could do better with a bit of training, or maybe this person isn't quite right. So, really good question there. I've got lots of good questions, but I'm not going to give Ooh, them all away. That. <laughs> use, use me as a recruiter, and I'll get mm. those people for you. <laughs> some good hacks there. Some good hacks. Some good tips. It is a time to wrap up wrap this up. episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About with me, Gina Tremarco, and today's co-host. Lana Gray Jones, both of us from Sales Gravy, and um, hey, we've got some great courses at Sales Gravy. Go check that out at salesgravy.university. Check out our, our courses, our live courses, our self-paced courses, and of course, our coaching programs. So go check that out. If you have not left us a rating or review for this show, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and do that. Of course, you can find out more about us at womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com or salesgravy.university. And we are out of here, Warners. Bye, Warners. Bye, Susanna. Have a lovely day. See, I sounded very American then. (laughs) Have a lovely day.